Chapter Thirteen of *The Masquerader* by Catherine Cecil Thurston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter Thirteen. The best moments of a man's life are the moments when, strong in himself, he feels that the world lies before him. Gratified ambition may be the summer, but anticipation is the ardent springtime of a man's career. As Loder drove that night from Fleet Street to Grosvenor Square. He realised this, though scarcely with any degree of consciousness, as no accomplished self-analyst. But in a wave of feeling too vigorous to be denied, he recognised his regained foothold, the step that lifted him at once from the pit to the pinnacle. In that moment of realisation he looked neither backward nor forward. The present was all-sufficing. Difficulties might loom ahead, but difficulties had but one object, the testing and sharpening of a man's strength. In the first deep surge of egotistical feeling he almost rejoiced in Chilcot's weakness. The more Chilcot tangled the threads of his life, the stronger must be the fingers that unravelled them. He was possessed by a great impatience. The joy of action was stirring in his blood. Leaving the cab he walked confidently to the door of Chilcot's house and inserted the latch-key. Even in this small act there was a grain of individual satisfaction. Then, very quietly, he opened the door and crossed the hall. As he entered, a footman was arranging the fire that burned in the big grate. Seeing the man, he halted. "'Where is your mistress?' he asked, in unconscious repetition of his first question in the same house. The man looked up. "Uh, "'She's just finished dinner, sir. She dined alone in her own room.' He glanced at Loder in the quick, uncertain way that was noticeable in all the servants of the household when they addressed their master. Loder saw the look, and wondered what depth of curiosity it betrayed, how much of insight into the domestic life that he must always be content to skim. For an instant the old resentment against Chilcot tinged his exultation, but he swept it angrily aside. Without further remark he began to mount the stairs. Gaining the landing, he did not turn as usual to the door that shut off Chilcot's rooms, but moved onward down the corridor towards Eve's private sitting-room. He moved slowly till the door was reached. Then he paused and lifted his hand. There was a moment's wait while his fingers rested on the handle. Then a sensation he could not explain, a reticence, a reluctance to intrude upon this one precinct, caused his fingers to relax. With a slightly embarrassed gesture, he drew back slowly and retraced his steps. Once in Joker's bedroom, he walked to the nearest bell and pressed it. Renwick responded, and at sight of him Loder's feelings warmed with the same sense of fitness and familiarity that the great bed and sombre furniture of the room had inspired. But the man did not come forward as he had expected. He remained close to the door with a hesitation that was unusual in a trained servant. It struck Loder that possibly his stolidity had exasperated Chilcot, and that possibly Chilcot had been at no pains to conceal the exasperation. The idea caused him to smile involuntarily. "'Come into the room, Renwick,' he said. "'It's uncomfortable to see you standing there. "'I wanted to know if Mrs. Chilcott has sent me any message about to-night.' "'Renwick studied him furtively as he came forward. Uh, "'Yes, sir,' he said. "'Mrs. Chilcott's maid said that the carriage was ordered for ten-fifteen, "'and she hoped that would suit you.' "'He spoke reluctantly, as if expecting a rebuke. "'At the opening sentence, Loder had turned aside.' But now, as the man finished, he wheeled round again and looked at him closely with his keen, observant eyes. 
"'Look here,' he said. "'I can't have you speak to me like that. "'I may come down on you rather sharply when my, my nerves are bad, "'but when I'm myself I treat you—' "'Well, I treat you decently at any rate. "'You'll have to learn to discriminate. "'Look at me now.' "'A thrill of risk and of rulership passed through him as he spoke. "'Look at me now. "'Do I look as I looked this morning or yesterday?' The man eyed him, half stupidly, half timidly. "'Well?' Lily resisted. "'Well, sir,' Rennick responded with some slowness. "'You look the same, and you look different. A healthier colour, perhaps, sir, and the eye clearer.' He grew more confident of Loder's half-humorous, half-insistent gaze. "'Now that I look closer, sir,' Loder laughed. "'That's it,' he said. "'Now that you look closer.' "'You'll have to grow observant. "'Observation is an excellent quality in a servant. "'When you come into the room in future, "'look first of all at me, and take your cue from that. "'Remember that serving a man with nerves "'is like serving two masters. "'Now you can go and tell Mrs. Chilcott's maid "'that I shall be quite ready at a quarter-past ten. Uh, "'Yes, sir. And after that?' "'Nothing further. I shan't want you again to-night.' "'He turned away as he spoke, "'and moved towards the great fire that was always kept alight in Chilcot's room. But as the man moved towards the door, he wheeled back again. "'Oh, one thing more, Rennick. Bring me some sandwiches and a whisky. He remembered for the first time that he'd eaten nothing since early afternoon. At a few minutes after ten, Loder left Chilcot's room, resolutely descended the stairs, and took up his position in the hall. Resolution is a strong word to apply to such a proceeding— but something in his bearing, in the attitude of his shoulders and head, instinctively suggested it. Five or six minutes passed, but he waited without impatience. Then at last the sound of a carriage stopping before the house caused him to lift his head, and at the same instant Eve appeared at the head of the staircase. She stood there for a second, looking down on him, her maid a pace or two behind, holding her cloak. The picture she made struck upon his mind was something of a revelation. On his first sight of her she had appealed to him as a strange blending of youth and self-possession, a girl with a woman's clearer perception of life. Later he had been drawn to study her in other aspects, as a possible comrade and friend. Now, for the first time, he saw her as a power in her own world, a woman to whom no man could deny disconsideration. She looked taller for the distance between them, and the distinction of her carriage added to the effect. Her black gown was exquisitely soft, as soft as her black hair. Above her forehead was a cluster of splendid diamonds shaped like a coronet, and a band of the same stones encircled her neck. Loda realised in advance that only the most distinguished of women could wear such ornaments and not have her beauty eclipsed. With a touch of the old awkwardness that had before assailed him in her presence, he came slowly forward as she descended the stairs. "'Can I help you with your cloak?' he asked. And as he asked it, something like surprise at his own timidity crossed his mind. For a second Eve's glance rested on his face. Her expression was quite impassive, but as she lowered her lashes a faint gleam flickered across her eyes. Nevertheless, her answer, when it came, was studiously courteous. "'Thank you,' she said. "'But Marie will do all I want.' Loder looked at her for a moment, then turned aside. He was not hurt by his rebuff, rather by an interesting sequence of impressions. He was stirred by it. 
the pride that had refused Chilcot's help, and the self-control that had refused it graciously, moved him to admiration. He understood and appreciated both by the light of personal experience. Uh, "'The carriage is waiting, sir,' Crappen's voice broke in. Loda nodded, and Eve turned to her maid. "'That will do, Marie,' she said. "'I shall want a cup of chocolate when I get back, probably at one o'clock.' She drew her cloak about her shoulders and moved towards the door. Then she paused and looked back. "'Shall we start?' she asked quietly. Loder, still watching her, came forward at once. "'Certainly,' he said, with unusual gentleness. He followed her as she crossed the footpath, but made no further offer of help, and when the moment came he quietly took his place beside her in the carriage. His last impression, as the horses wheeled round, was of the open hall door. Crapham in his sombre livery, and the maid in her black dress, both silhouetted against the dark background of the hall. Then, as the carriage moved forward smoothly and rapidly, he leaned back in his seat and closed his eyes. During the first few moments of the drive there was silence. To Loda there was a strange new sensation in this companionship, so close and yet so distant. He was so near to Eve that the slight fragrance sent from her clothes might almost have belonged to his own. The impression was confusing, yet vaguely delightful. It was years since he had been so close to a woman of his own class, his own caste. He acknowledged the thought with a curious sense of pleasure. Involuntarily he turned and looked at her. She was sitting very straight, her fine profile cut clear against the carriage window, her diamonds quivering in the light that flashed by them from the street. For a space the sense of unreality that had pervaded his first entrance into Chilcot's life touched him again. Then another and more potent feeling rose to credit. Almost involuntarily as he looked at her, his lips parted. "'May I say something?' he asked. Eve remained motionless. She did not turn her head, as most women would have done. "'Say anything you like,' she said gravely. "'Anything?' He bent a little nearer, filled again by the inordinate wish to dominate. "'Of course.' It seemed to him that her voice sounded forced and a little tired. For a moment he looked through the window at the passing lights, then slowly his gaze returned to her face. "'You looked very beautiful tonight,' he said. His voice was low and his manner unemotional, but his words had the effect he desired. She turned her head, and her eyes met his in a glance of curiosity and surprise. Slight as the triumph was, it thrilled him, the small scene with Chilcot's valet came back to him. His own personality moved him again to a reckless determination to make his own voice heard. Leaning forward, he laid his hand lightly on her arm. "'Eve,' he said quickly, "'Eve, do you remember?' Then he paused and withdrew his hand. The horses had slackened speed, then stopped altogether as the carriage fell into line outside Bramful House. End of chapter 13